Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 18 again. And we're going to go through verse 26. We'll do the same thing tomorrow, but we'll zoom in on each of the two women uh, who are resurrected and healed, respectively. Here's verse 18. As he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him, saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout the whole area. Exquisitely beautiful miracle, two of them. A miracle within a miracle. It's like a miracle that frames another miracle. A miracle of resurrection framing another miracle of healing and restoration. So let's zoom in first on the miracle that is within the other miracle. Yesterday we met uh, the synagogue leader whose daughter had just died. He went to Jesus despite the Jewish authorities that existed over him and asked for not just a healing, but a miracle of resurrection. Imagine the urgency then within him as he's going through this crowd. Uh, concurrent gospel accounts also give us more context for the chaos of the massive crowd and this woman kind of making her way through the crowd to reach out and to touch Jesus's robe. Uh, this is the miracle I want us to focus on, and it's largely described in verses uh, 20 through 22. So it's only three verses within the whole text of chapter eight, uh, chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. It's right in the middle, but it's framed quite beautifully. Let's begin with the robe. And as she reaches out and just wants to touch the end of his robe, what she touches is called the tzitzit. It's this fringe at the end of the robe that was prescribed in the Old Testament, and it symbolizes the law. It symbolizes the law of God. Now, if this woman's condition was menstrual in nature, then she was rendered ceremonially unable to enter the temple for all 12 years of this. I mean, in Leviticus 12, even after a woman gave birth to a child, she was unclean for two weeks as she was on her menstrual impurity, and then she would continue in purification from her bleeding for 66 days. That's Leviticus 12, 5, and that's, that's the purification process for a woman who's just had a child. This is a woman who has suffered from an affliction that likely rendered her unclean from, uh, from temple worship and unable to go and just worship God as prescribed for 12 years. But she had the faith to say, if I could just touch the end of his robe, if I could just touch the end of his robe, I'll be made well. It's not, it's not her faith that becomes the glory of the story here. Jesus looks at her and does say the words, your faith has saved you. But the power came from Jesus and not from her. She believed. 
and she reached out. But who gets all the credit for this? Jesus does. And look at the kindly response. Your faith has saved you. That's profound. Your faith has made you well. Some translations may render it. But that's not all he says to her. Have courage, daughter. Have courage. It's like when the paralytic was lowered on the mat before Jesus, and the first thing that Jesus said to him was, Son, your sins are forgiven. Embracing him as a member of his own family and proclaiming him forgiven. The healing of the paralyzed man was just to prove to the skeptical Pharisees, perhaps there on the front row with the best seats in the house, that he had actually forgiven the man. And this woman had been heartbroken by her condition. And Jesus saw that, just like he saw in the paralyzed man, the sense of guilt put on him by the superstitions of his day. The reason that you're paralyzed must be because you've done something terrible. See John chapter 9, when the man is born blind and everybody assumes that he must have been a particularly badly behaved fetus or something. Jesus saw the paralyzed man and knew exactly what to heal first. It wasn't his paralysis, it was his soul, his broken heart. Jesus sees this woman and tells her, have courage. She had been fearful for 12 years, afraid of being found out, afraid of being stoned to death. Should she go to the temple afraid of her fellow believers? Man, you know, that's one of, one of the biggest problems I have in this world is not, it's not from devil worshipers. It's, it's from other Christians. Like, there are some, some of my biggest problems. Like, she, this woman was afraid of others. She was afraid perhaps of Roman rule, but she was also afraid of, of those who would look at her with her affliction and say that it must have been because she did something terrible. And he doesn't just say have courage to bring her from a state of fearfulness to, 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 to righteous courageousness. He calls her his daughter. Just like he looked at the paralyzed man and called him his son, he looks at her and calls, calls her his daughter. Have courage, daughter. Not only do I want you to come out of fear, but I want, I want to proclaim over you the fact that you are mine. Come on, man, that's got to... That's got to minister to your soul right there. Not only do I want you to come out of that darkness, come out of that fear, come out of all the lies they've all spoken over you, the abuses that the temple, the fellow believers have done upon you. But I want you to know you're mine. Permanently, irrevocably, adopted before the foundations of the earth, my daughter. Have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. Framing this incredible interaction is the urgency of the synagogue leader whose daughter has passed away. And he is grief-stricken and in terror, but he has faith enough to know that Jesus can heal him. He doesn't have quite the faith or the nature of faith that the Roman centurion did, knowing that Jesus didn't have to come under his roof. He could just say the word and his servant would be made well. Rather, this synagogue leader wanted Jesus to come with him. And they have to make their way through this massive crowd of people. When we, you know, uh, place this within the frame of a, of a harmony of the Gospels, which we'll talk a little bit more about uh, in tomorrow's devotion, we can see that poor Poor, the poor synagogue leader was, was really, really anxious about all of this. And he's looking at God at work in this woman's life. And he's probably like, yeah, I'm really happy for you. But God, what about me? There's plenty of Jesus to go around. All right. There's plenty of power here. 
This is the nature of omnipotence. Because God is at work in somebody else's life doesn't mean he's forgotten about you. He is limitless in his power. So don't be anxious. Even while somebody seems to cut in line and receive their healing and their restoration before you get yours, God is good. His power is limitless.